0: Well, hey everybody, I'm Adam Schell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. So for the last few episodes of our podcast, we have been in a sermon series called I Believe, where we have been talking about the essential beliefs of our faith, those beliefs that make us as Christians, Christians. So over the last few episodes, we've talked about what it means for us to believe in God the Father, and for us to believe in Jesus Christ, and for us to believe in the Holy Spirit, and for us to believe in the church. Well, today we're going to be trying to take all of the things that we've learned about what we believe about God in our heads and turn that into something that we know in our hearts, something that will change our lives forever. And to help us do that, we're going to be talking about what we as Christians believe about the forgiveness of sins. So let's get right into this episode sermon.
1: A golden crown
0: was sitting on his table, less than an arm's length away. Now, if most of us had found ourselves in that situation, we would have been tempted to behave like a kid at a hat stool. We would have wanted to put that crown on our head and pretend that we were king or queen for the day. Fortunately, my head's a lot bigger than a kid, so this crown doesn't quite fit. But not for Archimedes. As Archimedes sat there, all he could do was stare at that crown sitting on his table. And he sat there staring at the crown that was sitting on his table because he was wrestling with an issue that was literally a life or death matter. Archimedes was trying to figure out if that crown was made out of pure gold or not, because that's what the king of the kingdom had ordered. He had ordered a crown made out of pure gold, and that's what the jeweler had claimed to make for the king, but still the rumors persisted. Whisper spread around the entire kingdom that the jeweler had stolen some of the gold that the king had given him, and he had replaced it with cheaper silver and the final product. But there's no easy way to tell. So the king of the kingdom, he came to Archimedes and he asked him to figure out if the king had been tricked. And if it turned out that the jeweler had conned the king, well, let's just say that the jeweler would have lost his crown. So there Archimedes sat, staring at that golden crown on the table, turning the problem over and over again in his mind because he wanted to do what was right by the king, but he also wanted to do justice for the jeweler. So he sat and stared at that crowd day and night. He didn't eat, he didn't sleep, he didn't even bathe. And that last one became such a problem that Archimedes' servants had to force him away from the table and make him go and take a bath. But it's not like Archimedes could just slip upstairs to the bathroom and take a quick shower. No, this story takes place more than 2,200 years ago. So Archimedes had to go to a communal bathhouse. And as he arrived at that bathhouse and he slipped into the steaming water, he realized something, noticed something that he had never noticed before. He saw that the further that he sank into the bathwater, the more the water around him rose. Like that, Archimedes knew that he had the solution the problem. So he jumped out of that bathtub shouting, Eureka! Eureka! And he went running to the king's palace as fast as he could, wearing nothing but his birthday suit. <laughs> what is this story about Archimedes have to teach us? Well, the first thing it teaches us is a mathematical principle that we've all come to learn and realize. Because what Archimedes realized was that just like he displaced water when he slipped into that bathtub, he knew that the crown would displace water as well. So he's going to get a tub of water and put the crown into it and see how much the water level rose. And then he was gonna take the exact amount of gold that the king had given the jeweler, place that into the same tub of water and see if the water level rose the same amount. If it did, then the king knew that his crown was made out of pure gold. And if not, he ended up being conned by his jewelry. That's the first thing. So the next thing that we learn as we think about this story is we see, we see that Archimedes gives us the basics of something very important inside of our faith. And we'll be talking about what that is this morning. But as we think about this golden crown and we think about Archimedes, what we can learn from this story is that Archimedes, before the king ever presented him with this problem, Archimedes was already one of the most brilliant minds in the entire kingdom. Archimedes was a great mathematician, but he was more than just a mathematician. Archimedes was also a physicist, an engineer, an astronomer, and an inventor. So Archimedes was a guy who knew a whole lot of stuff. So before the king ever gave his jeweler a single ounce of gold, Archimedes already knew something about gold. And before Archimedes ever slipped into the bathtub that fateful night, Archimedes already knew something about water. But on that day, 20, more than 2,200 years ago, when Archimedes went to that bathhouse, he took what he knew in his head about gold and about water, and he made a connection with them that would change the field of mathematics forever. What does the story have to do with us, the story of an ancient mathematician and a golden crown. Well, today I feel like a lot of us may be feeling a little bit like Archimedes did before his servants forced him away from that table and made him go and take a bath. And no, that's not my way of telling you that you stink. What I'm actually saying is that right now our heads are filled with a lot of knowledge. Over the last few weeks, we've been talking about what we as Christians, as followers of Jesus, believe. So just like Archimedes knew a whole lot of information about gold and about water, Over the last few weeks, you have learned a lot about what it means for us to be Christians, what it means for us to believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, what it means for us to believe in Jesus Christ, what it means for us to believe in the Holy Spirit, what it means for us to believe in the church. But today, I want you to have a eureka moment of your own. I want you to have a moment where what you know in your head about what we believe about God Become something that you know in your heart, because when you know it in your heart, it will change your life forever. So today, I want to spend our time together talking about one last thing that all Christians believe. And to help us do this, we're once again going to be taking a look at a statement of beliefs, a confession of faith that Christians have been using for 1,600 years to explain what it is that we believe. So let's take one more look at the Apostles' Creed together. Here's what it says. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Universal Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and life everlasting. Amen. Now, the part of the Apostles' Creed that I want to focus in on today is found almost at the end of the creed. The part that I want to focus in on today is what it means for us to believe in the forgiveness of sins. And I wanted to talk about what it means for us to believe in and the forgiveness of sins. Because what we, as people of faith, as followers of Jesus, as Christians believe about the forgiveness of sins, takes everything that we've talked about over the last six weeks. And it turns it into more than just head knowledge. It makes that connection where it's heart knowledge that can change our lives forever. Now, I know that it may be a little bit surprising to think that what we believe about the forgiveness of sins can have that kind of impact on our lives. And there's a reason for that. The reason for that is the church doesn't exactly have a great history when it comes to the conversations that we have that revolve around the concept of sin. I mean, it doesn't matter if you're talking about one of those old-time, old-school preachers that pounds on their pulpit while they're ranting and raving about a particular wrongdoing on public access television, or if you're talking about a small church out in Kansas who has a bad history of picketing at people's funerals, proclaiming who God hates. The church has a bad history of using our conversations about sin to bully other people instead of reflecting on our own failures, our own shortcomings, and realizing that we need forgiveness too. But whether we want to admit it or not, we all have plenty of shortcomings in our lives. Whether we want to admit it or not, we have all failed plenty of times in our lives. Whether we want to admit it or not, we have all sinned plenty of times. This is the way that the Apostle Paul, the foremost missionary and theologian of the first century, makes this this idea crystal clear to us in the book of Romans. In the book of Romans, the letter that he writes to the church of Rome, Paul says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So what Paul's telling us is, We have all sinned. You've sinned. I've sinned. We have all sinned. But what does that word sin actually mean? You see, sin is one of those words that we use a lot around the church, so we all kind of, sort of know what sin means, but we never really stop and try to define what it means. So if you were to ask people what it means to sin, you're going to have some folks that will tell you that you sin whenever you do something that's wrong. Are you going to have people that tell you that you sin when you break one of the Ten Commandments? Are you going to have people that will tell you that you sin whenever you disobey God? And although all of those answers are on the right track, none of them give us a full understanding of what sin is. And that's because each one of those things that I just mentioned, they explain to us that we've done something that we shouldn't have done. But none of them explain why that is. And I think we need to know why. So my definition of sin is that sin is anything that separates us from God and from God's purposes for our lives. Sin is anything that separates us from God and God's purposes for our lives. But that leads us to another question. Why don't we want to be separated from God and from God's purpose for our lives? Well, the easiest way to answer that question is to say, we don't want to be separated from God and God's purpose for our lives Because God created us. God formed us with his own hands. God breathed life into all of us. But God didn't just make us. God made us on purpose and for a purpose. Or as the Apostle Paul explains it in another letter that he writes to the church in the city of Ephesus, he says, you are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us. To do So what Paul's getting at here is that God knows why you were created. God knows who you were created to be. God knows what you were created to do. God knows what the life that God wants you to live. And God, God wants you to live an abundant life. This is the way that Jesus, who is God made human, explains it to us in John chapter 10, verse 10. Jesus tells us, I have come that you may have life and that you may have it more abundantly. So what Jesus is telling us is that God wants us to have that abundant life. And what does that mean? It means that God wants you to have a life that is full of life. God wants you to have a life that is filled with things that give you life, like hope and peace and joy and love, instead of things that rob you of life. But when we're separated from God, we can't have that life. When we're separated from God, we can't be who God created us to be. When we're separated from God, we can't do what God created us to do. When we're separated from God, we can't live the life that God wants us to live. So let's take just a second here and recap what we've been talking about so far this morning. So, so far this morning we've talked about the fact that we are all sinners. And because we are all sinners, we have been separated from God. And because we've been separated from God, we cannot have the purpose and live the life that God wants us to To live. So what can we do about that? What can we do about being separated from God? What what needs to happen to repair the sin that's in our lives? What needs to happen to fix the brokenness that's in our lives? What needs to happen so that we can live that life that God wants us to live? Well, in order for us to live the life that God wants us to live, our sin has to be repaired. Our sin has to be repaired. But how does that happen? How does our sin get fixed? Well, this just so happens to be a question that Paul is answering in, a letter that, in the letter that he wrote to the church in Ephesus. Paul is writing to them because the people there are wondering, what do we have to do to have our sins repaired? So Paul writes the letter in the book that we call Ephesians. In the book of Ephesians is found inside of the New Testament. And there are essentially two kinds of books that we find inside of the New Testament. The first kind of books, it tells us the story of Jesus. The second kind of books, explains how our faith in Jesus grew and spread throughout the first century after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. In the book of Ephesians, it's that second kind of book. It explains to us how our faith in Jesus grew and spread in the decades after Jesus' crucifixion and his resurrection. But that doesn't mean that the book of Ephesians is a boring old history book that's only filled with information about important dates and people, because that's not what Ephesians is about at all. Ephesians is, like I've already said, it's a letter that Paul wrote. But it's not just a letter that Paul wrote out of the goodness of his heart. It's not just a letter that Paul wrote because he wanted to check up and see how things were going in the city of Ephesus. No, just like every, just about every other letter that Paul writes, The book of Ephesians is written to address a specific problem that is happening inside of that particular church. And the problem that they're having in the church in Ephesus is they can't figure out what it means to have their sins repaired. So there are people in the church in Ephesus who believe that there is something that they have to do to fix the brokenness in their lives. Or to put it another way for you, there are people in the church in Ephesus who think that they have to work their way and earn their way back into God's good graces. So this is the situation that Paul is writing to. So let's see what Paul says to the people in Ephesus. We'll start reading in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what Paul writes. He says, "At one time you were like a dead person because of the things you did wrong in your offenses against God. You used to live like people of this world. You followed the rule of a destructive spiritual power. This is the spirit of disobedience to God's will that is now at work in persons whose lives are characterized by disobedience. At one time, you were like those persons. All of you used to do whatever felt good and whatever you thought you wanted so that you were children headed for punishment, just like everyone else. Now, inside of these three verses that we just read, Paul doesn't tell us anything that we haven't already talked about today. Inside of these three verses, Paul kind of reemphasizes the fact that we are all sinners, and we have all been separated from God because of our sins. The way he puts it here is that we're all like dead people because we've been separated and sinned against God. But in these three verses, Paul alludes to something that we haven't talked about at all this morning. He alludes to the fact that something has happened that has repaired our sins, that has fixed our brokenness. It's allowed us to return to the path that God wants us to follow. And Paul alludes to this when he says things like, you were dead. You used to live like the people of the world. You used to do whatever felt good. You were headed destruction. And every time that Paul uses those past tense words, he's alluding to the fact that something has already happened that's changed everything. Something has happened that has repaired our sins, fixed our brokenness, and allowed us to return to the path that God has for us. But what is that something? What's happened that's changed around us? Well, let me tell you what it's not. It's not something that we did because there is nothing that you can do on your own to fix the brokenness of sin. There is nothing that you can do on your own to fix the brokenness of sin. And I want this to sink in for you a little bit, because there are plenty of times in our lives when we start sounding a little bit judgmental when we're thinking about other people and the way that they are living their lives. But what we've heard here it reminds us that we really don't have any room to judge other people because there is nothing that any of us did to repair the sin in our lives. There's nothing that we did on our own to fix our brokenness. There's nothing that we did that allows us to return to the path that God has for our lives. We needed somebody else to do something for us. So when it comes to the subject of sin, we are all really in the same boat. And we're in the same boat, and we need to understand what the consequences are of our sin. And this, again, is something that Paul addresses in the letter that he wrote to the church in Rome. When Paul explains it to us, this way: it says, for the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The wages of a single sin is death. So when it comes to the topic of sin, we've all already lost because the wages of a single sin has separated us from God forever. But fortunately for us, we don't have to solve the problem of sin for ourselves. We don't have to repair our sin for ourselves. We don't have to fix what is broken for ourselves. This is something that God does. And as Paul continues writing to the church in Ephesus, he explains what it is that God did for you and for me. So let's listen to what Paul says, continuing Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. Paul says, However, God is rich in mercy. He brought us to life with Christ while we were dead as a result of those things that we did wrong. God did this because of the great love he has for us. You were saved by God's grace. You were saved by God's grace. So what Paul tells us here is that God is the one that defeats our sin. God is the one that repairs our sin. God is the one who fixes what's broken in our lives. God is the one who allows us to return to the path that God has for our lives. And there's nothing you did to earn it. There's nothing that you did to deserve it. There is no good that is good enough to fix everything that is broken and wrong in your life. This is something that God does for us all by God's own grace. And what's that word grace mean? Because it's another word that we use around church a lot. Well, I personally like the definition that I once heard a little boy, three-year-old little boy named Jack, give for grace. Jack says that grace is getting what you don't deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. And when it comes to sin, we have a chance to get what we don't deserve. When it comes to our failures and our shortcomings in life, we have the chance to get what we don't deserve. And it's all because who God is. Grace tells us that God loves us so much that He cannot stand for anything to separate us from Him. Grace tells us that God loves us so much that God cannot stand for anything to come between us and Him. Grace tells us that God loves us so much that God wants us to have the abundant life that He has promised us even when we don't Deserve it. So, God forgives our sin to give us the chance to follow Him and fulfill His purpose for our lives. That's what this is all about. God forgives us our sin to give us the chance to follow Him and fulfill His purpose for our lives. And when we understand this, When we understand that this is at the very root of all of our beliefs, when we understand that we have sinned, and therefore we have been separated from God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, when we understand that God acted on this to make sure that we weren't separated from Him for all eternity by sending His Son, Jesus Christ, into this world to lay His life down for us and repair the brokenness of sin in our lives, when we understand that the Holy Spirit comes into our lives to fix what's wrong, to allow us to return to the life, the abundant life that God wants us to live, when we understand that the church, the whole reason the church exists is so that we can help people grow in that relationship with this great God. And what we know in our head about God, what we believe in our head about God, becomes something that changes our hearts and our lives forever. Because when we understand this, we see that our faith is truly Good news. When we understand this, we see that our faith is something that is really worth sharing and spreading. When we understand this, we see that our faith is far more valuable than even a nice golden crown. Because when we see this, we understand what our faith is really about. We believe in a God who created us on purpose and for a purpose. We believe in a God who wants us to have a life that is filled with life. And we believe in a God who loves us so much that he doesn't want anything to keep us from having that life that he wants us to have. And that, that's not just a faith that's worth believing in. That's a faith worth living for. That's a faith that's worth dying for. That's a faith that's worth committing your life to so that you can follow our God. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this word of prayer, we are just thankful for everything that we've talked about and learned about over the last several weeks. As we've thought about the essential beliefs of our faith. But today, God, we are most thankful for our belief in the forgiveness of sin. Because God, the fact that you have forgiven us of our sin, it takes everything that we know about you and it makes it personal. It makes it something that changes our lives forever. Because God, on our own, We are destined to be separated from you. As Paul explained it, we should be dead because of our sins. But God, through your grace, you extend to us the opportunity to have not only eternal life, but to have the abundant life that you want us to live on this earth. A life that is filled with hope and peace and joy and love. But all of this is only possible because of you, God. You're the one that extends your grace to us. You're the one that forgives us of every wrong that we've ever done. You're the one who allows us to return to the path that you've always wanted us to live. Not because of anything that we've done, but because of who you are. So God, my prayer is that you help us take everything that we've heard and learned over the last few weeks. This knowledge that we've gained in our heads turn it into a knowledge that we know deep down in our hearts, a knowledge of a God who loves us, who wants the best for us, who is always with us, a God that is worth believing in. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has helped you better understand what it means for us to believe in the forgiveness of sin. Because this belief, our belief in the forgiveness of sin is what takes everything that we know in our heads about God and it turns it into something that we can live out through our hearts. Because we don't just believe in the God who created the heavens and the earth. And the God who walked this earth as a human being. And the God who entered into this earth as the spirit and descendant upon the first followers of Jesus. No, we believe in a God who loves and cares about each and every one of us. A God who made all of us on purpose and for a purpose. A God who wants us all to have an abundant life. And we believe in a God who loves us so much that he doesn't want anything to keep us from having that life, from being who he wants us to be, from being in a relationship with him. Well, next week we're going to be starting into a brand new series of sermons preached by our own Joel Noland called... It's not what you think. So, we hope that you'll come back and tune in when our next episode drops next Tuesday. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app. And remember, you don't have to wait till next Tuesday to hear one of our sermons. You're invited to join us every Sunday morning at 10 30 a.m. on our church's website at mhbcleouville.com/slash live. Or you can also find us by searching Melbourne Heights on Facebook. We would love to have you join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week. I'll be praying for you and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast